Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Lunarverse. I'm Dr. Charles Liu, but of course you should call me Chuck. Thanks so much for being here today. What a joy it is for me to be able to talk with three incredibly amazing people and all the adventures that they have surrounding places like Antarctica and objects like things that, oh, I don't know, happen to fall in from space and land on the Earth. Let's uh, just go right around the horn. Joining us from New Mexico today is meteorite specialist Jeff Notkin. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Chuck. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. Um, we can't wait to see some of your meteorites and talk a little bit about the things that you've done over the years as the one, the true meteorite man. That's pretty awesome stuff. Well, thank you. I brought some. I, I brought some extraterrestrial wonders for you. Oh, can't wait! Bringing, bringing it all down to earth. Oh, we're going to do show and tell for sure uh, coming up. Uh, and joining us from Arizona is Doctor Andrew Maynard. Hello, Doctor. How are you doing? Hi, Chuck. I'm doing really well here. I have no extraterrestrial wonder, unfortunately, <laughs> but I'm so pleased to be here. Well, your your terrestrial wonder is just fine for me. Your expertise uh, started out in aerosol physics all these years ago over in the UK and has expanded to just remarkable concepts about I, I, how you humanity know, I have no the idea what I do that. these days. Yes, <laughs> I, I left the track somewhere. <laughs> we, we'll, we'll try to find it in, in the resume column right. and go from there. And joining us from Massachusetts is former astronaut Katie Coleman. Hello, Katie. Hey there. Hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, I know that, never mind, I, thank goodness you never came down from Earth, uh, from space to Earth at any more than a controlled speed. And we're really glad that's the case. But I know that you spent some time looking for things that came down at a very high speed some years ago, I bet. Um, <laughs> I did. I did. Two and a half months in Antarctica. Wow. It was the most amazing time. Wow. Well, we look forward to talking to that. And I absolutely must say that Katie and Andrew co-host the Mission Interplanetary podcast, available where all your podcasts are, are obtained. It is amazing. Just remarkable stuff. Everyone, if you get a chance, please go hear the Mission Interplanetary podcast co-hosted by Dr. Andrew Maynard and Katie Coleman. Wonderful stuff. Thank you so much for all of you being here today. I really, really appreciate it. I want to start right away with those meteorites. Excellent. Okay. The The deal is this. Jeff, you've told all your audience and all the people you've spoken with all the years before that in the end, yes, getting those meteorites is great, but it's the adventure that matters. It's the experience. It's the friends you made along the way that matters. And so I want to start with the concept of global adventure. Like you're, you are a global adventurer first and foremost, and you just happen to find meteorites, which is pretty awesome. Uh, and, and we all sort of adventure in our own way, but, but tell us a little bit about some of that kind of adventure that you've had over all these wonderful years. Well, with pleasure, Chuck, and thanks. That, that was a very nice intro. So I, I grew up on these classic adventure movies like King Solomon's Mines and Lawrence of Arabia. This was, this was a popular fare in, in the England of my youth, and I loved science fiction, comic books, space flight. Yes. I was a, always been a devotee of, of, of uh, both robotic and and, and crewed spaceflight missions. I was allowed to stay home from my very strict British school to watch the moon landings, which has uh, always been one of the highlights of my childhood. Not just because I was able to watch this unfold in real time, but because my dad 
wrote a note to the very stuffy headmaster of my <laughs> school, informing him, not asking him, but informing him that young Jeffrey was staying home to watch the moon missions. So, so how can you not fall in love with spaceflight at an early age when you get to miss school in order to observe it? So, so there's this, this love of travel and adventure in foreign countries. My parents were both foreign service and they spoke multiple languages and they were, they were into this idea of adventure holidays before it was a thing. And my, a lot of my earliest memories are of traveling in very remote parts of North America, Africa, all across Europe. And my parents' way was always, well, let's take the most obscure roundabout scenic way and stay at this funny little local place and eat the local food. And it was never luxury hotels for us. It was always the, <laughs> the very authentic experience. So, so I blame my parents for, for my love of, of oh, travel funny. and adventure. And, and also meteorites, really, because my dad was an amateur astronomer. And both my parents were great believers in, in museums and uh, the arts and hands-on educational experiences out of the classroom. So a lot of my earliest memories are looking through my dad's telescope at night. Uh, Andrew will relate on evenings when it was clear in the UK. <laughs> Those was, two days was, of the year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of almost uh, almost as big an event as having an eclipse was just having a, a clear sky. And my dad would rush up and he'd wake me up during the night. He'd shake me awake, a little, oh. little boy, put me in a blanket and carry me outside and go, look, you can see the moons of Jupiter. So my parents were very eccentric. And oh, wonderful the, parents. So, Props <laughs> yeah, to no, I, was, I was very lucky. I was very lucky. And so couple that with the museum visits, I, I feel like I spent, uh, Andrew and I have spoken about this before, but I think I spent half my childhood in Dorset looking for fossils on what's now <laughs> called the Jurassic Coast, Mary Anning's homeland, and the other half in the Geological Museum, which is now part of the, the NHM London, where they had a, a meteorite collection. They had a hall of meteorites. And this was... This was a source of infinite wonder for me. A kid who looks up through his dad's telescope, obsessed with Star Trek and Doctor Who, comic books, sci-fi, spaceflight, geology, all comes together in meteorites in this little, this dark little hall at the back of the Geological Museum. And so this was my, this was my dream as a kid. You must one day own a real meteorite. Wow. Now, little did I think, that this dream would yeah. would grow and turn into such a monster oh. that I would end up founding a meteorite company and and doing the meteorite then television show for yeah. discovery and and having all these adventures. But it, but it was Chuck. It was always a mix. So it's the the wonder of meteorites. I I want to I want to find them. I want to hold them in my hands. Particularly if that involves going to highly inaccessible places like <laughs> Siberia or the Australian outback. So oh, there's wow. the thrill of the hunt and there's the wonder of the vastness of the landscape. And, and when those two come together, for me, that's, that's been, those have been the biggest adventures in my life. Fantastic. Now, have you ever been to Antarctica to look for meteorites? Uh, alas, no. And this is where I'm so envious of Katie that she's been, being on being on the ANSMET search for meteorites, and, and I have many friends and colleagues who have been uh, my author friend Chris Kokinos, who wrote a wonderful book about about meteorites. Yeah, join the join the expedition, and so I've heard the stories, I've seen the photographs. We actually uh, we did pitch very hard doing a meteorite men episode in Antarctica, 
and <laughs> and our our production company which we loved very courageous and very good to us said well it's so expensive to go and so so steve arnold my co-host like oh that's no problem let's do a double episode and then it'll only cost half as much <laughs> so so we did we did look into it good and, idea and, thanks I, I thought so get a twofer as we'd say in canada or england so I was very, very, very keen on this. It's the only continent I haven't been to. The only continent I haven't found a meteorite on. <laughs> Plus, I'm fascinated by the history of Antarctica and uh, and thrall. I just would love to to visit McMurdo Station. Mm-hmm. I must mention, since I said McMurdo, my television show Meteorite Men aired on all seven continents. And you'd go, oh well, wouldn't wouldn't any successful show? No. <laughs> Not most shows don't air on all seven continents. I know for a fact that it aired in McMurdo because a fan had recorded it when it was airing on Science and took copies down and showed it at movie night at McMurdo Station. So that was one of the highlights of my career that I can actually say our show aired on all seven continents, although it was slightly it was on the unofficial side. Well done, uh, yeah, well done. So, so we look, we we did look into this, mm-hmm. but we were told in the nicest possible way by the authorities not so much <laughs> well oh, wow. no 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 they said they said nobody owns antarctica as per the treaty you can come to it we can't stop you from coming to antarctica have a great time they just make it really don't, difficult yeah you know, <laughs> don't call us when you get in trouble <laughs> right don't nine one one or sos or dial 999 because wow we've already told you we're not gonna come rescue you wow so okay. that was enough for production to go no not gonna happen we're oh not man you well Alas. too bad but, Katie, but... if you've got any connections that's Katie, right. you've got, you've got an in there. That's you know, right, Katie. You were there two and a half months. Tell us about this. Now, now I should mention that for the audience who doesn't know this, the majority of meteorites that have been found in our human lifetimes were found on Antarctica. And so this is a an incredibly important place to do this kind of research and do this kind of recovery. And Katie, you had a chance to do this. Tell us about that. That's pretty amazing. Well, I was, you know... A guest, uh, basically the the ANSMED or Antarctic Search for Meteorites, um, is something that happens almost every year. And you know, Jeff, you can correct me, but my my understanding was, and as a scientist, I just thought this was fascinating, was that until sometime in the seventies, there were like, I don't know, less than some small number, five hundred meteorites known, right? Some some small number of meteorites for study. Yeah. And and it was so enough that like when you want to chop something up, you better think really hard whether you're going to answer the right, you know, are you going to destroy this specimen for future research or whatever. And when they started going to Antarctica for ANSMET, then they're bringing back so many more samples. And so by the time I went in uh, about 2002, there were like 26,000 samples wow. up from a few hundred. Wow. So I might be off my numbers, but just the fact that by going and finding them, it really changed what scientists were were able to do in terms of investigating. And they cleverly bring scientists to Antarctica to do the hunting so that they understand actually how much goes into it, how hard it really actually is, you know, how much it costs in terms of fuel and supplies and, you know, risk and you know, all those things that when you're really there, you know, it's clear that you've got to be really careful and you got to take care of each other and, and that you're, you know, you're in a place where this is, this is serious. And, um, and that's actually why the astronaut office is interested in sending astronauts is because we can simulate, you know, Hey, it's going to be risky up in space and you better do things right. But when you get to be in an environment that really is that way, it, you learn a lot about yourself and, and you learn some of those lessons about what am I like when I'm under those kind of stressful conditions. Wow. So being on Antarctica, aside from the fact that you can breathe unaided, is pretty much like being out in space 
in really critical ways. It's, I mean, it's really it's really isolated. There's a lot of things you don't control, including who's on your team. Oh, and there's very little picking that goes on. <laughs> we were we were the reconnaissance team, so there were four of us, and I was actually the last minute replacement for Sonny Williams, who is a beloved wonder astronaut. If you ever look, if you look up ISS tour, like International Space Station tour, and Sunny S U N I, you will see the most wonderful tour of the space station ever. And because she got selected for that mission. I was her last minute uh, replacement oh. uh, for that, and which was a pretty cool phone call for me, actually. <laughs> well, how were the conditions there? What was the camping like? I mean, it was, uh, it was you know, minus 15 to 30. It depended. I mean, it was interesting to me. We spent probably one day out of four in our tents Jeez. because it was too nasty to go out. And what they had found over the years is that – and so what going out means – you know, the, the, the team suits up, you've got snowmobiles and you're literally doing a grid, you know, back and forth and back and forth snowmobiles at like five miles an hour, um, looking for meteorites, you're spread out. And then whenever anybody finds something on the ice and, uh, Jeff might have a better way to explain this, but what the way I, the way I think of it is that, you know, basically the, the continent, the ice is always kind of expanding and melting and, and meteorites that have, you know, 400,000 years old yeah. are, you know, have been getting buried in the ice there. And as the, as the continent is expanding, that ice is, is basically taking sort of the, the up escalator up and the wind ablates away all the snow and you're left with these deposits. There's actually a geological mechanism that makes it so there are certain places where you're more likely to find them. Wow. And, and so and we Katie... went to some of those places. And, and Katie, I'm guessing because Antarctica is unique in terms of the thickness of those ice sheets, that anything that isn't ice there almost definitely has got to come from somewhere other than Earth. Is that correct? Well, it, dep it depends uh, where in Antarctica and where right. we were near the South Pole. It's so thick. That is indeed true. And so you would see even something the size of a fingernail on the ice, and you'd know that it was something that came from space wow. unless... One of the traverse, one of the things, what, so our, our, our task was to go to six different sites and check them out. Is this a place we should send a larger team in future years? And one of these times going between those camps, we're actually literally on our snowmobiles, one after the other going oh, about 12 miles or so. And, uh, found that you know saw this object and you know stopped and you know waving and waving hey i found something and it was an apple core oh my gosh and we were <laughs> we were the only we were, the, bugs. <laughs> we were actually the only team to go after a team had been there 11 years before oh man it, it was documented there was no one else had been in that place and it was actually the team led by johnny scott who was our leader you know our guide uh, to the ice there Amazing. so it was interesting i mean just it, but um, but if you do find a meteorite, I mean, it's going to be anything dark on the ice is that, and you're going to wave your hands. Everybody comes over. There's a special collection procedure where we mark with the GPS, you know, where that thing is, collect it with special tongs, put it in these Teflon bags, which are really, 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 really hard to open. Wow. I had the gloves, the only gloves that seemed to like, you know, when you're in the grocery store and you're yeah. trying to open those bags. Yeah. Anyways. Like that? Ooh. That's hard. And then if anything <laughs> happened when you were collecting it that you should like fess up about, like my nose might have been like dripping a little bit on that oh, one. Oh no. <laughs> I mean you have to and you have to fess up because otherwise, I mean, people are gonna yeah. draw all sorts oh, of conclusions. There, there's right. life on that. Life. You're right. Yes. That's right. That's it. Oh my But goodness. it's but it's really hard. And they, they have found um that when people are cold and tired, um, 
going doing that kind of you know that sort of is slow and monotonous and you get cold because mm. you're not really moving very much mm -hmm. that they don't find as many oh really and so that's why when it's a crummy day just stay you in. stay in the tent just wait and that's when you learn geology and geography and all sorts of cool <laughs> things from the other people on your crew super mm. duper cool that's just Katie, a, a... are you absolutely sure that that apple core didn't fall out of space <laughs> yeah. and it's not conclusive <laughs> proof of life in the, elsewhere in the universe well well yeah, actually jeff from... what you don't know is when they have to dispose of those cores on the international space station that's right you think that they oh. bag them all up and bring them down again <laughs> and maybe you know maybe we should have done a dna test on that there you uh, go on that could have come yeah. in at hypersonic <laughs> speeds, created a shock wave protecting it, and this it lands and it's not didn't burn up. I don't know. You know, we're making stuff up completely. Tell the listeners That's we're true. making this stuff up. This is all up. fake. Uh, sorry, we're just. But it, but I do think it's important to understand the, the sort of the numbers. I mean, we found a few hundred. Wow. Um, us in you know in that area about two hundred miles from the South Pole, a few hundred. But then the other team that was in the lee of the mountains where. Um, Andrew, you're saying is everything you see that's, I mean, there are, there are mountains there. I guess. There yes. are rocks. Yep. And to me, that would have been a much more daunting search actually, because you're literally looking at a beach full of rocks oh, man. And, and, sing, and thinking which one of these is not like the other, which is mentally really quite taxing. Yeah. And, and a, a moraine is that kind of, is that range of rocks. That's what it's called. It's called a moraine. And so there's a place they called Quiche Moraine, <laughs> which is very hard to search. <laughs> Anyways, it was pretty cold where we were. Like when we all got together afterwards, the sort of the team that had been in the lee of the mountains and, the, and us that had been sort of further out on the, on the ice there. Um, and we're comparing pictures, like all of our pictures, you wore three of everything. Oh. You know, you wore three things on your face, you know, goggles, you know, three things on your face, three pairs of gloves, layers, long underwear, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and we saw them with like, you know, faces showing and footfalls. <laughs> we, <were> like, <laughs> we just, we actually grabbed the wrong boarding pass. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. So, um, Andrew, you and I have not had these amazing adventures that Jeff and no, Katie not yet. have. Not yet. But, you know, our journeys have also had their twists and turns. I think it's fair to say, like you were describing in your life, you originally trained as a physicist. I know you were an opera singer as a teenager. And somehow you are now... <laughs> I, I tell the world about that. I seem to remember having this sort of, this non-disclosure agreement about the opera singing. Oh, sorry. And, Andrew, Andrew, we have been co-hosts for how long? And I am just now hearing about the opera singing. I was a teenager. It was a bad time. What? Opera's wonderful. Why is it a bad time? It was a great time. Well, right? no, no, no. It's not the opera. It was me. <laughs> but, but the idea of... Of moving from one thing to another yeah. in life is actually a significant thing for us. I mean, I'll, we think about Katie, for example, being an astronaut, but actually, in fact, going to Antarctica. You know, you don't always think that these connections, your path must have been very unusual to get you where you are today, especially you being a, a risk innovation specialist, a, a future <laughs> seer, not just like, you know, making predictions like Nostradamus or something, but actually looking at the reality of the present and then projecting it into the future with some scientific understanding and insight. Talk to us about that path. Yeah. So I, I you know, I guess like so many people, um, when I was a teenager, I would have had no idea 
what I would have been doing these days. But that's what's been so exciting about it. So I started life being absolutely enamored with science and, and physics in particular. And I, in fact, I actually studied physics because I couldn't actually do anything else. I was really bad at everything else I put my hand <laughs> Except to. Except opera physics. Except opera singing. Well, actually, well, no, no, no. See, that, that was the problem. I was also bad at that. So <laughs> just why we left it in the past. Um, but yes, I, I went through my career curious about a lot of things. And every now and again, a new opportunity came up. The opportunity to get involved with the early days of nanotechnology, for instance, with the US government, or the opportunity to get involved with things like synthetic biology or artificial intelligence, or the opportunity to really dig in deep around science communication. Um, and I think it was sort of that early curiosity that drove me to be a scientist also got me excited about all these different things. I mean, I never planned any of this. It's just that these opportunities came along and I thought, this is really interesting. Um, and it got me to where I am now. Um, but the thing that really gets me is if I look back and I'd be interested to see whether Jeff and Katie feel this or even you, Chuck, um, I was so different 10 years ago. Yes, I mean, I sort of, to me, the excitement of things is the fact that I'm doing different things now than I was 10 years ago. I'm a different person than I was 10 years ago. That's a great way to put it. And, and a lot of uh, the folks who tune into the Lunarverse podcast and just in general uh, are, are younger and thinking about like the paths that we've taken to go forward. Your point that you're different now, or you're doing different things now than you were 10 years ago is very, very important, I think. Uh, a lot of young people, even when I was younger, yes, even Chuck, uh, <laughs> we we um, don't think that when we are 10 years in the future that we would be doing different things, right? We have to almost consciously tell ourselves, don't do the same thing. We are different, right. and we're gaining new experiences all the time, new adventures, new ideas, right? So um, let me just ask you then, what new thing are you thinking about when it comes to <laughs> things like space or space particles or things that hit the earth, uh, you know, or things that come up from the earth? Give us a, a thing that's been on your mind in this general. Oh area. goodness me, yeah. So actually, I, I wasn't prepared for this, but of course, the the space stuff is interesting. I, I cover so many different areas, but you mentioned risk. So yes. I spent many years thinking about risk and trying to wrap my head around how we think differently about risk, because as humans, we're really bad when it comes to risk. Um, and of course, when you talk about risk, one of the big things is large meteors hitting the Earth, not these these sort right. of little things that Jeff and Katie have been collecting, um, but the, the sort of existential risk medias. Um, and of course, that's not going to happen for a, a long time. Well, hold on. But it's a but, serious... But, but, let, me sorry. Not, let me interrupt you just briefly about that. this, because we don't know that. Um, Chelyabinsk happened only about 10 years ago, and this was an airburst. Right. For those of you who don't know, this was an airburst of what was probably an icy meteorite. Uh, but it didn't hit the earth, thank goodness. It had blew up many miles up in the sky because if it actually reached the ground, I did this calculation, right. it actually came in, uh, it would have leveled every tree, every building, every structure in an area the size of Chicago. I mean, that was right. potentially extremely dangerous. It blew up over Chelyabinsk in Siberia. About a million people live in that city. Uh, so right. we are talking about actual real risk, aren't we? So we, I, I, I'm glad you said that. We we absolutely are. And, and one of the challenges with risk is separating out the, the possibility of something happening from the probability. So, of course, we know these events happen, and they've been happening through the lifetime of the Earth. 
Um, but of course, the probability of something happening that is going to devastate a lot of lives is actually much lower than that. Um, so navigating this this reality where we know there's this tale where there are going to be large meteors hitting the Earth and working out what the likely outcomes of that are going to be is not that straightforward. Um, but of course, we've got to think about it. And that's why a lot of people are thinking about how we actually deal with that. Well, and actually we're working to make better measurements, better able to understand, you know, what is, you know, what is what what does the asteroid cloud look like? Yeah, that's, and, and that's exactly yeah. it. Yes. Because yeah. those, yeah. those asteroids are not going to pick, you know, what country they're, they're not going to respect country lines. I mean, this is a, this is a people of earth. Issue. It, yeah, it really mm -hmm. is. And, and so that's one of the things where, um, I think so many of us hope that we have this wake up call and we start acting as a whole civilization rather than just these little communities because big meteors don't respect boundaries, as you say. <laughs> shall, shall I, uh, mention, dare I mention the movie don't look up? And the <laughs> so I was uh, hoping parody you that it had <laughs> about what we think about these global disasters. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's just an excellent point. I, I wish we had substantially more time to talk at this moment, but we do not. So we have to go right to show and tell. I I asked uh -huh. each of you to bring something super cool to show us. We only have a few seconds to describe it, but imagine you are now coming back to that second grade classroom back when you were a child and you bring in that one special thing to show everybody, this is my blank. Okay, let's do this. We have to go to Jeff first. Surely you have something amazing to show and tell us. Chuck, I brought so many meteorites to show you. You mean I have to choose just one? Just for now, no, no. just for no. now. In the, just, in the future just, more, don't worry. For, for sure. So I'm often asked, Jeff, in all your adventuring around the world, what, what what's 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 the favorite thing? Well, what's the strangest thing you found? The strangest thing I found was a 2,000 pound unexploded bomb outside of a military test range uh, in Utah. I was going to ask you about that. Oh, were that. you? Yes. Well, we it's were... like, what is he doing with that? <laughs> you'll, you'll be very pleased to know, uh, I know you've, you've uh, seen the photo, Katie, it's been, been published in one of my books, but we were searching for a meteorite that was seen to fall in in utah and we were outside the dugway proving ground the top secret military testing ground outside and we found this 2000 pound unexploded warhead wow. which <laughs> which was reported to the air force and apparently blown up on the spot because they said it was so dangerous they didn't want to try moving it i was hunting in australia we were filming a meteorite men episode at the henbury craters which is a site i had I'd wanted to visit since childhood where they're 15 meteorite craters in, in very close proximity, and it's, it's a, all from the same impact. Seems to feature in oral history of the Aboriginal peoples. So they seem to be aware that there that something happened there about 4,600 years ago. So I, I was swinging my detector, and I, I, I got this very loud, very loud target. I go, well, that sounds good. That almost sounds too good. It sounds like maybe it's a can or or not another unexploded bomb near the surface. And I saw this tiny little, this tiny little bit of the smallest thumb of, of iron sticking out of the ground. And I thought, well, that doesn't seem right. Touched my magnet to it and, and out of the ground leapt this, this beautiful piece, uh, a Henbury iron, wow. which always reminds me of an elephant's head. Yes, it looks exactly like what it looks the like. Ears and trunk uh, of, of an elephant. So that's in no way the largest meteorite that I found, but that's that's my favorite from an wow. impact that's about four thousand six hundred years ago. And 
like we like we talked about with the the white court piece you can see how this has just been ripped by the fury of impact so that gives you an idea of why we should have serious preparedness for the potential of <laughs> asteroid impacts on earth amazing that, that, that's what the earth does to iron when it when it I, plus the fact four thousand years isn't that long yeah no long this is all. this is recent history yes and wow. there and andrew as you know there are multiple impacts that have produced craters within the last fifty thousand right. years on, on <laughs> right <Earth>. right <laughs> andrew Show and tell time. What you got for us? Oh, you know, I used to hate this in school because <laughs> I never had anything. I mean, I, I was a physicist. I We did theory. We did stuff in our head. So actually, I, I, I don't have anything to show apart oh. from what you can see behind me, which there's nothing interesting. There. Oh, there's no. Really lots of great there. stuff back there. Yeah. There what, what, what do you want me to show from what's behind me? It, it seems the, to have... Actually, actually the I hitchhiker's, the hitchhiker's about... box set. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, so actually, th this this is relevant. So let me just pull it off. So, actually, so yes. so this for for everybody watching. I mean, this is the original Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio series by Douglas Adams, the one and only and best. Um, if you want to know anything about how to navigate towards a better future, um, this this actually is your guide. It's it's a comedy series, but it is so insightful. Um, and of course. <laughs> It actually connects with space because so much of the Hitchhiker's Guide happens in space. I've actually got to tell you one thing about this now that you brought it up, Jeff. Nothing to do with meteors. Um, but one of the storylines in the Hitchhiker's Guide is um, about this guy, Zani Whoop, who is in his office. And the, the characters go and try and visit him. And they're told they can't because he's on an intergalactic tour, which is a, a huge joke in the Hitchhiker's Guide. Apart from the fact that these days, with the metaverse and the multiverse, this is what people are doing in virtual reality. So finally, reality is catching up with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So yeah, that's a nice link there. It only and, took half a century. Yeah. I'm so glad you, you, you so glad you mentioned that bit because that has what I think is the funniest line in all of Hitchhikers. When Zaphod goes to Megadodo Publishing and he's looking for Zarni Whoop and he encounters the guy at the office, office and they have that exchange and, and the guy says, oh, Mr. Beeble, perhaps you're so weird, you should be in pictures. And he says, yeah, <laughs> right. baby, and you yes. should be in real life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, classics. I remember it well. The classics. You all should check out the poster from Expedition 42 oh. on the space station okay. because we do know what the answer is. That's right. right? That's right. And well, they have if you look up the poster from their mission, they they understood the gravity like and the responsibility that they had to the universe. With 42. Yes. Marvelous. Yep. They I, did. I, they did. I have got to say that I have bored my students for so many years by trying to get them to listen to the radio series and none of them have actually followed up on this. I don't know whether it's my age or whether it's a cultural thing but students these days just don't know they're bored when it comes to the hitchhiker's guy i'm gonna get that out there. get get that going yes because because we i we totally agree that. with you andrew of all the i love all the iterations of hitchhikers the books the film the tv show everything even the towel i saw the original stage show at the london rainbow in 1978 <laughs> they all i'm a, i like you i'm a major fan they all have excellent things but man nothing beats the radio show nothing <laughs> beats the radio show it is the original and the finest mm -hmm. well I, well, I can't wait. Yeah. I am I'm a new devotee. Oh, really? How about that? Oh, I've Go listened listen. to it yeah. twice. I mean, it's wonderful. Okay. Uh, I have the lamest thing to show. So I'm going to go last. Uh, uh, Katie, 
Show us your cool thing. Well, I, I often think about storytelling, and of course, um, I'm a mom, so what to bring home, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. that will matter to uh, my kid. And actually, um, I had not only one, but two penguins on the trip. I mean, I actually really do when I go, you know, I train underwater, I would bring underwater doggy. Um, and so I brought another doggy to Antarctica, um, actually a little penguin. I think Petey went to, to Antarctica. But then I got there, and you wouldn't think that there's a gift store in Antarctica, but there really, really is. <laughs> What? <laughs> and so I have like, I have t-shirts, I have sweatshirts, you know, all waiting for the two and a half year old to, uh, to grow up and grow into these, uh, things that I've been actually wearing too. And, uh, and it, but it's really, it's nice just to make that experience w- real, to have some sweatshirt that reminds you that you really were in this place that not many people get to go to. And but, you but found I've got to ask, where, 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 the universe. where was the gift shop? I mean, you were in a tent in the middle <laughs> well, of nowhere. There, where was the gift shop? It turns out there's two. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> There's one in McMurdo. Okay. And some of it, they bring, you know, it's just that people want to have a t-shirt. Like, you know, I, you know, my parents went to this place and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. So I got t-shirts, right? <laughs> I brought cash. I was ready. Um, but then the New Zealand, the New Zealand base had their own gift store. And this. <gasps> Whoa. He's been to the South Pole. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, but I, I, I like these ways of making things real to people. And, uh, and, and I think it's nice to have them hang around and look cute as well. Oh, that's so, wonderful. There we go. Yay. A real Antarctic penguin on know, the show right? at last. <laughs> and been to the South Pole and everything. He oh, has. Do you need oh, an export so permit for that, Katie? <laughs> uh, no one no one asked, but I did just, uh, li- I like that our suits are very big and he might have been just kind of stuffed <laughs> <Right>. in. <laughs> okay. Well, my show and tell item is the lamest clearly now after seeing all of yours but i still think it's cool and it's worth sharing because it's from uh one of the crew members of the lunarverse show who actually did go to antarctica once on a special trip and um my understanding is that alan does in fact have a penguin also from antarctica although not as cool didn't go all the way to the south pole uh it was from the british antarctic heritage trust which is at port lockroy which is also a gift shop, apparently, which is kind of cool. And you, you can leave Antarctica. <laughs> there. Now, when Alan went, uh, I had asked Alan if I could get a rock from Antarctica. But then uh, when he returned, Alan explained that you do not pick up rocks in Antarctica. You don't take them away because they're precious natural resources. The penguins actually need them in order to make their nests and things like that. So it's really important not to take anything from there. And I was like, oh, thank goodness you didn't take anything. I was really glad of that. But he said, so what I did instead was I took a plastic bag from the gift shop. I put it on the Antarctic ice and I brought it back for you. So this is the plastic bag, okay, which Alan kindly brought back. It was on Antarctica uh, in December of 2015, and is still one of my great prized possessions because it is of Antarctica, but nothing, I I left no impact. And, And I thank Alan for that wisdom and for this wonderful gift, which I still hang on to to this day. I love, I love that. that. I, I, I am beginning. To, I I beginning to um, have this suspicion that actually Antarctica is nothing but gift shops. We've been told this fib <laughs> it's not about true. it being it's full of these scientific stations. 
Well, yeah. five million Douglas Adams, actually. <laughs> that sounds like something Douglas Adams would write. It really Antarctica does. Was, we got there and it was nothing but gift shops. I know, I know. It's, it's the... the it's the Dolman Saxville of, <laughs> of the present day world for anybody who's into the Hitchhiker's Guide. At least they're not shoe shops. Okay. At least they're not right. going to cause the other collapse of our society. Wow. You guys really are serious fans. That's excellent. <laughs> That's all we are. Well, I love that we have connected these dots. Okay. I mean, you know, the dots of like, you know, pieces of the, uni- of the universe, you know, falling to earth and coll- collecting them in various places, science fiction, real space stations, future space stations, and physics, astrophysics, and shopping. Yes. All in one show. I mean, could we ask for anything more? We cannot. This is the cosmos. This is the cosmos. This is the universe. Wonderful. Uh, If we had more time, we would use it, and we will come back again sometime. Absolutely, right? Jeff Notkin, Andrew Maynard, Katie Coleman, thank you so much for being with us today. What a pleasure. Uh, Everybody, please check out the reruns of Meteorite Men, if you get the chance, and all of you check out the Mission Interplanetary podcast wherever you get your podcasts, everyone. And all of you out there who have been with us today, thank you so much for being with us. If you like what you hear and see, please support us on Patreon. And as always, thank you for being a part of the universe. Thanks very much. Thank you. It was fun. It was a blast. (laughs) 